talking this afternoon because I know a lot of people are getting on planes and going different places. Hi, good to see you. Uh, but we just appreciate your being here. This class is about two congregations, one on the East Coast where my daughter attends and a lot of her friends and my friends now since they've been there 20 years, is that right? And uh, it's the uh, Manhattan Church of Christ. They, in uh, this last year, I think it was the month of uh, May, they made women, a number of women in their congregation to be elders a year ago, okay, 2018. And then in Culver Palms, which is in West LA, where I attend with my husband, Tom, and we uh, have been there over 50 years, and <laughs> he's rolling his eyes. Um, but, and we began with women becoming elders. We, last August, Tom was no longer an elder. I think it was December, and I became an elder in uh, the summer, so, you know, it's a good thing. <laughs> but we just welcome all of you. What I've been, I've thought about in this class and going to a number of the other classes about this whole, about this topic. I went to Jared Robinson's class this morning. You know, the, it's, with Jared, I just really appreciated his going over all the steps that their congregation did to make this change. And I know Dana yesterday in here talked about steps that we did at Culver Palms and Julie with uh, Manhattan and Tom, who's uh, Robinson, who's the minister there. It's really interesting to see how different churches do this differently. Some more organically than others, uh, some more with a plan in sight. And I guess I think of it as a, I counsel, I'm a therapist, so I see a lot of young people today and I, that are in their 20s and 30s, and I really, I like to say to them, decide rather than slide into relationships. And I really, I think you have to be thoughtful about this process, but I, I think the words that I keep hearing from a lot of the different talks is decide, pray, decide, and don't slide. Take it as what you think. I think that it's that the time has come for men to step up and be courageous. That's what I said in the talk that I, at the beginning, because I, I really don't think women can do this on their own. It takes courageous, our courageous brothers to come alongside us and to step up. So those are just a few uh, words today. We're very happy to have three, four men on this panel today from Culver Palms and from, uh, from uh, Manhattan and they will introduce themselves. I'm gonna ask Amy, my daughter, to lead us in prayer. Thank you. I'm oh, you're fine. 
Let's pray. Gracious God, we trust that you are here with us right now in this space. And we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. We pray that the work we, were doing, we are doing here will bring glory to you. And we pray that your glory um, will radiate out from this space into a world that's desperately in need. So we ask that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we ask that you will begin with us. So give us clarity, give us energy, give us wisdom and strength and compassion as we talk over the next hour. Thank you. Thank you for calling us to this place, for calling us to this work, and thank you for the life that is ours through Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. So we'll start with Greg, and yeah, we'll just ask each of you to briefly introduce yourselves, tell them which, which congregation you're a part of, what your role is there, and, and any, any other pertinent information you want to share. And then um, if you haven't been to our panels the last couple days, we've just asked members of both of these congregations to share what's on their heart as they realize that there are a lot of congregations across the country, around the world, that are really wrestling with how to make important changes regarding the inclusion of women, the celebration of women's voices. They're, they're trying to figure out how to do it. And so all we've tried to do is just put some people up here who've done it, who've, been, who've walked the journey, and we've just asked them to share what do they think it's important for you to hear. So with that, let's get started. Um, good morning, good afternoon, I should say. Uh, my name is Greg McNair. I am a shepherd at Cobra Palms Church of Christ and have been so for about 18 years. Had that privilege for about 18 years. Uh, I am a father of five daughters. Uh, I love the church, the body of Christ. Uh, I believe in it um, and think that it's saved my life. Uh, I'm a professor of law and dispute resolution at Pepperdine's Graduate School of Education and Psychology. I've been a practicing lawyer for over 30 years, uh, and um, I'm glad to be here with you all. Should I say about something about what's on my heart right now? Or? Okay. Um, the journey <clears throat> excuse me, to where we are today, um, I think, uh, has begun with um, courage, uh, and, I, and I would say um, in response to, not in response to, but in conjunction with what Sheila said, that courageous women are needed also because it's not easy to be the first at anything. And so I so appreciate Sheila uh, and Vicenta Jacobs, who's, who is the other um, woman who's on, who is on the shepherd team right now in, in leading the congregation. Um, but courageous men are also necessary. Uh, Cobra Palms came to this decision. When I first came to Cobra Palms about 20 some odd years ago, 
Um, I came during a time when the discussion about uh, involvement of women um, had come to um, the, uh, uh, I would call it the initial conclusion. We had women involved in several ways, um, uh, but not fully. Um, and so several years ago, uh, a few more years, years ago, five or so years ago, we had uh, started to have the conversation again. Um, I would say that the, the, the most important thing that we had to do at that time was, as Sheila said, decide. What do we really believe the Bible says about this? What do we as a leadership team believe? Um, and we were so um, thankful um, and gifted by the fact that we had Tom Bost, who I see as um, the, one of the best examples of what an elder is supposed to be with us when we're having this conversation. So thank you, Tom, for being there um, with us. Uh, and, um, but we had to decide what we believed. Then once we decided what we believed, we had to decide what we do with that. Um, and the first thing we had to decide was, are we going to speak up and say what we believe? And that was a conversation, frankly, that um, was a more difficult conversation than we had anticipated, um, that I had anticipated, I guess I should say. But the decision was finally made that we would speak up uh, and say what we believed about what the Bible says and what the Bible says about um, inclusiveness uh, in terms of, and we're talking about Women's Day, but we're, we were also talking about inclusiveness generally in terms of leadership. Um, and that was a difficult thing to do because we understood that once we, um, once we told the congregation we were having the conversation, and once we told the congregation that what we believed, there was the possibility that people would, that we know and love would decide to, to stand up and leave. But we also thought about the conversation in two steps. One is, what do we believe? And the second step is, what do we do about it? Um, and those were two difficult conversations we had. I think we had a breakthrough about two years ago when one of the brothers who um, is a shepherd at Culver said, you know, we ought to just share our our just our struggle with the congregation. We ought to tell the congregation that, look, this is what we believe. This is what we think should, we should do about it. But we want you to be in prayer and in fasting with us. Help us to decide. We shouldn't decide this on our own as just a small group. We need the church to walk along, the church to walk along with us, everybody together to walk along and decide how, um, how we deal with this. Um, and that's what we did. We had periods of prayer and fasting where members of the congregation signed up to fast and to pray on this. Um, and at the same time, we were going through the process of selecting shepherds. Um, and we let the congregation decide um, what it wanted to be, what, 
we all wanted the congregation to be what we wanted our community to be about um, in today's world. Um, and we allowed the congregation to communicate to us through their decisions about who they would nominate as shepherds um, for the year. And they communicated to us what, their, what our decision should be, what we believe the community should be very loudly and clearly through the nomination, um, by, through nominating Sheila and Vicenta in a very strong fashion. So as Sheila said, we decided what we believed and we didn't slide into it. We as a congregation, not just as a leadership team, we as a congregation made the decision after fasting and prayer. I just, I wanna mention one, um, one thing that I think, two things that are very, were very important to me and very important to the process. One was you have to know your congregation and talk to your congregation. Don't assume. There was one point during this process over the years where we made assumptions um, and frankly, we made the wrong assumption about what our con where our congregation was at the time. And it resulted in um, several people leaving. Um, I don't know if we could have prevented them from leaving. I'm just saying that we, we made this assumption and we didn't talk it through. Um, in this final stage of the process, we decided as shepherds um, that what we would do is do our best to talk to every family in the congregation to see how they were feeling, what their feeling was, if they needed to talk, some, talk to someone about the theological issues involved, so we could do that. But we be, I believe that touching every family in the congregation was so important to how our process worked out. The other thing that was important to me was to continue to love the people who decide to leave. They're not our enemies. They are not saying anything about us and about you know, whether we're good or bad people. They disagree, and they disagreed um, strongly enough that they decided they had to leave. And I, for, I'm sorry, I'm gonna add a third thing, and that is one of the things that we learned over time is most of the people who left didn't leave because of the theological issue. It wasn't about their decision that women shouldn't participate fully. Most people left because of family. And I'll, just, I'll tell you one story. There was a, a woman that I spoke to who left the church, um, a good friend, and we were just talking about why, why, why'd you make that decision? And she told me the story about how um, her family, she grew up in Oklahoma, her family um, was in a Baptist church, decided to move to a church of Christ, and how the rest of her family basically ostracized um, her nuclear family because of the move. And she, she's, her feel, she, she, she felt so strongly about that circumstance, she, she just felt that the decision that was being made by the church um, would really hurt her family more than her. Um, and she couldn't really bring herself to um, inviting her family uh, to a church um, that um, believed the way that we believed. So keep in mind that um, 
the theological issue may not uh, be the thing that is really driving people away um, and love them nevertheless. So those are my thoughts. Right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, nice description. Um, mine is going to take a little bit more of the form of a, of a testimony. My name is Stephen Kahneman, and I've been a member of Manhattan Church of Christ for over 22 years now. Uh, and recently, I became an elder there uh, about a year ago. Um, now, as we begin, it's important for you to know a little something about me. Um, I came to Christ as an adult, and my somewhat troubled, um, youthful adult life was completely transformed by Jesus. I came to Manhattan Church, and I was baptized there. Uh, by my dear friend and our senior minister, Tom Robinson. I was married there by Tom Robinson. My son, Hans, was born there, not by Tom Robinson. Um, and uh, get this one. My son, Hans, at 13 years old, was bar mitzvahed at Manhattan Church of Christ by Tom Robinson. That's a long story, and that's a story for another time. But I tell you all that to just let you know that I have loved every moment of my time at Manhattan Church, and Manhattan Church is my family. And when we come to this discussion of gender equality and inclusion, and women uh, serving and women leading, I think it really boils down um, to a very basic concept that everyone can understand. And that is that we are all created by God. And we are all created equal by God. Now, um, I must confess to you, I'm somewhat sheepish about being part of this panel today because the person who really ought to be sitting here and talking to you is my wife, Emily. Emily is just um, an extremely talented woman. She's smart and bright. She is beautiful inside and out. She's an, an, an organically natural leader. And um, Emily has been a professional actress, actor, and uh, singer uh, for much of her professional career. But Emily is also um, a pioneer. And Emily's a pioneer because almost 20 years ago, when we at Manhattan Church decided to go down this road of inclusion, Emily was one of, was among the very first women at our church who stood up and said, I'm going to help lead 
and she led with her voice. So she went right up front, right at the beginning, and was part of that first praise team of men and women leading our church in worship. And she was so good at it that she actually did lead in the past, in those early years. She led worship. She has led worship on and off throughout all these years. Um, and she continues from time to time to lead worship to, to this day. And by doing so, she enriches the life of our church. Now, some 15, 16 years ago, Emily decided that um, she wanted a little bit of a change professionally uh, because it's hard to live in that gig economy of acting and singing. And she had always been just um, so talented at uh, pulling together events for family, for church, for friends. Uh, she does it naturally. People just they just, every time they turn around, they look to Emily. What do we do next? Where, where do we put this? How do we pull it all together? And she leads by that sort of quiet leadership where she's doing while she's leading. Um, and so she decided to hang out her own shingle and start up her own event planning business. And it is a very successful business. She um, does a lot of corporate events. She does a whole lot of weddings. And so I'm excited about her success at that, but part of it makes me sad. And to be sure, I'm not sad because of her success. I am thrilled by her success. But um, what makes me sad is that the world recognized and embraced her talents and her skills and her gifts before the church did. And when I say the church, I don't mean Manhattan church specifically. I mean the church writ large. And it's just really sad that in this case of gender equality, the world is leading the church instead of the church leading the world. And I, I just think that's, uh, that's really um, too bad. You know, um, I want to give you an example of that. Back in 1997, uh, when Emily was still acting, um, she uh, got cast in a musical up at Lake George in upstate New York uh, for the summer, for summer theater. So I would come up from the city to visit her, and we found this small, out-of-the-way Church of Christ near Lake George. And when I say small, I mean tiny. There couldn't have been more than 20 people in this church. And most of the people in this church were women. There were a couple of men around. And to top it all off, the um, minister that they had, the preacher they had, had just started, brand new. He had never preached, really, or led a church before. He was very young, his wife was with him, and he was scampering around with, I think, two guys trying to get everything done. Meanwhile, all these women are sitting in the pew um, waiting for service to begin. And the thing I remember most was when it came time for singing. 
And this preacher got up front by himself. And you could tell he was nervous. And he looked like a deer caught in headlights. And he sort of, there was this sort of awkward pause and he pleadingly was looking to his wife, took a breath, and then his wife began the first song from the pew. And then all of us in the congregation, including the minister, began singing. And you know, that's just too bad, isn't it? Why couldn't she have jolly well just walked up there, stood next to her husband, and led that congregation in worship? So, you know, that's the kind of thing that we're facing. So Emily and I just feel so grateful and so thankful for the direction that we're taking at Manhattan Church. And, you know, when we made this decision some almost 20 years ago, it was not an easy decision to make. There were struggles. Um, and we didn't do this as some sort of fad just to keep up with modern life. And we're going to do this because it fits with what our city demands. Um, but, you know, maybe we'll sort of gloss over some of the things in Scripture. No, no, no. No, we did this after long prayer and study and reflection and lots of sermons. And when we went down this path, we went down this path with our eyes wide open, knowing in our hearts that this is what Scripture calls us to, this is what Jesus calls us to, and this is what the Holy Spirit that lives in each and every one of us calls us to. You know, in Matthew 5, Jesus says that I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill the law. All of the Hebrew scriptures and all of the books of the law point to Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes, oftentimes, what we Christians mistakenly do is we try to convert the New Testament into a law book. But the New Testament is not a law book. The New Testament is a heart book. And so we've got to really ask ourselves, where is Jesus leading us? And where Jesus is leading us, it's abundantly clear to me that Jesus is leading us to a place where women and men both serve equally. And, and um, you know, you just have to, you know, there's, there's plenty of examples if you go to the Bible of this. Plenty of examples that illustrate the point. One, the big one, was mentioned yesterday at this panel where Jesus reveals himself at the tomb to Mary. And it's Mary that he instructs to be the messenger of the good news and tell the others. But there's a, another um, example, another story in the Bible, that really resonates with me. And it comes from Luke 10. And it's the story where Jesus is traveling with his disciples. And he comes to the house of Martha and Mary. 
And rather than just sort of paraphrase what that story is, let me just read to you these four short verses from Luke 10. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to everything he had to say. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. By his actions, Jesus says to women everywhere, bring your complete, authentic selves to church and lead. So, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. So let's all choose that better part together. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Um, my name is Jason Isbell, and I'm the children and student minister at the Manhattan Church of Christ. I've been there for, um, tw since 1999, and um, I have only served in a church that has fully incorporated. That's the only place that I've served in ministry. And so, in many ways, I am uh, a beneficiary of work done prior to me getting there. We were, I was at the church for about a year before uh, Garnetta Lovett, who uh, she was an African-American woman, about 89 years old, 88 years old. She was the first woman to speak. How old was she at that day? She would hate that I'm saying anything about her age. She was 41, and that's fine, yeah. So, so she, uh, she was the first woman to speak in the public assembly, and at that time we had had a monster pulpit, like a huge, big aircraft carrier of a pulpit, and she says, my name is Garnett. I love it. I have a few things to say before she did the scripture, and I'll never forget it. And at that moment, you know, we had, I, I had crossed a bridge that had been built by other people. And so what I want to speak to you about a, a little bit is, um, as a children's student minister, what it looks like from being on the other side of the bridge. I was really struck by your testimony, um, Sheila and Vicente, and just the heart-wrenching, could it really be true that for 40 years I've lived squelched, and only now at this stage in my life am I able to contribute. Wait a minute, I've contributed. It's not worth nothing, but I've been told it's the only thing. And I have a video I want to show you really quickly. Um, and it has a, it's a good 
our love youth ministry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're actually making me look bad. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Aaron Eicher, and I'm a member of this church, and I'm in the second grade. I want to tell you what we learned about in youth church this morning. We learned about the story of Samuel anointing David to be the next king of Israel. God told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse to find a new king for God's people. When Samuel got there, all of Jesse's strong and handsome sons were there, but God told Samuel that none of <coughs> none of them were who God wanted to be the next king. Samuel asked Jesse if he had another son, and Jesse said yes. Jesse didn't think his other son David was big enough or old enough to be a king. But when David came into the room, God told Samuel that David was a person. God wanted to be Israel's king. Then Samuel anointed David's head with oil and told him he would be the next king. Because of this story, we know that God cares a lot more about what's in the inside of a person that's want than what's on the outside. Our memory verse is Romans 12, verse 10, which says, Love each other deeply. Honor others more than yourself. And now it's time for us kids and teenagers to go up to our classes on the third floor. Thank you and God bless. That was Erin. I wrote that, but she read it because she could read. She preached. She told this whole story of David. And my cautionary tale about that is that that was when we were doing a thing called uh, Voices of Youth. And we're able to do that. We're free to do that. And it's been years since we've done it. Because the status quo is so strong that you have to remain intentional even after 20 years of having practices and opportunities being different than what you grew up with. Even in a church that's in the bubble of New York City, that people come and visit in New York who would never do anything like this at their, at their church. They would come and they worship and they say, this is great for you guys to do that. You know, this is, I love it. I wonderful. I can't imagine seeing that here. And for 20 years, we've had women participate and we've done all these things. But still, if we are not deliberate and intentional, it goes back to the status quo of men leading and shaping the expression in teaching, in the worship. Because we have 2,000 years of habit pushing into that. And so, Aaron, I didn't wait till Aaron as a second grader was able to synthesize the story of David and, 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 and then when you're ready to bring something, do it. I wrote that for Aaron. Those were my words, but she preached it. And I haven't done that. I mean, this was seven, Aaron's now 14. So she, this is her in second grade. And why we haven't continued Voices of Youth is because I got lazy about it. 
the worship minister at church would love to have kids come and serve and speak or whatever. But by Friday, the people have already been set. You know who to call who will like on Thursday be like, oh, man, I got to find someone to fill this communion slot. And I got my people to do it and stuff like that. You know, it's easier for me to teach in youth church than it is to give it to a kid and who teaches for two minutes, and then I got to figure out what to do for the next 40. So I, when we leave New York, when we leave New York, when I leave New York, that's how New Yorkers feel about the rest of the country, by the way, <laughs> is like when we leave New York into the scary other parts of, I'm, I'm really aware of what a, a blessing, what a blessing and what a unique situation a church like Manhattan, a church like Culver is in. I don't, I, because I've ministered in this church for so long, I could not go to a church who would tell my wife that because of her gender, she is not allowed to speak into the life of the congregation. I would not work at a church. I would not attend a church. I would not be a part of one. Aaron, would, it would not even enter her mind to go to a church that says no. Now, our big churches and the churches of Christ, they can gloss over things like if we do worship stuff differently, we can make it look. But the day is coming, the truth will be made known, that it will no longer be tolerable for half of God's image to be prevented from speaking, from sharing, from using their gifts. The reckoning is coming. Sheila and Vicente wanted to be obedient. They wanted to stay and figure out how to do this thing. Aaron will not walk into another church that will silence her voice. This is what's at stake. And it takes people even in places that have already journeyed to be deliberate and purposeful even after we've crossed the bridge, to continue because we have history pushing against us. And if we are not careful, the default slides back in. I was telling Amy, how many Sundays would it take if we only had, this, I'm talking about our churches, this is an experiment we should do. I'm putting this out there. <laughs> that only women do communion, the meditation. It would be interesting to see how many Sundays before someone came to a leader and said, why are only women doing it? What's your bet? Can we do three years of just women speaking? Oh, I'm sorry, three because we've had like, how old is the Church of Christ? Nine, 18 something? We've had 200 years of just... So, do you, do you, how do we come back into the place. We are not normalized. 20 years is not, this is not the normal thing. We still have to, and even for me, when I have a clear invitation to put a, anybody I want on the stage, it's welcome. The elders are like, let's do it. I get tired, and I go back to my default, and it's easier to just take care of it myself. So... The call is still for us to have so much work to do, just keeping the ground we've gained 
and not taking that for granted. And I don't know what's hard for me as someone who's lived 20 years being able to minister this way, how to tell, how to get people to listen that the central, the central like aspect of the church continuing to be a force that it needs to be in the world is what we do with women. It is the most important thing. And young people will not tolerate a church that denies the truth that's plain as day in Scripture by Jesus' own actions. And so we, we have to be prophetic and we have to continue to work and be intentional about it or, it's, or the default will assume or resume. So thanks. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I don't know what else to add. This, those three, three were great. Uh, my name is Zach Lubin. I'm the youth and family minister for the Culver Palms Church of Christ. Uh, in December, I will have completed seven years there. Um, and so I kind of like Jason, I'm uh, kind of benefited from a lot of uh, the groundwork that Culver Palms had done uh, before I arrived um, there. When we started talking about women preaching and when we started talking about the eldership conversation, that was, uh, I think it was at Culver for maybe two years when we started talking about women preaching. And uh, I take this long view of youth ministry where I'm still trying to figure out who Culver is and, and where, uh, you know, what's the history and what's going on. And so it was an interesting process uh, to be a part of. But one of the things that um, I came, became clear to me was this question of uh, when Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 talks about gifts being used for the building up of the church. And that became a really uh, an important text for me to keep coming back to. Because the question really was, is are we, are we using everyone's gifts for the building up of the church? And if we aren't, then are we really doing what we should be doing as a church. Um, and and, and the, when you talk about gifts, it's uh, growing up in the churches of Christ, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I saw, I've, I've heard a lot of people preach, and some of them don't have the gift of preaching, but they're guys, right? They're male, and so they get to preach. And that doesn't make sense, because that's not their gift, and that's not a bad thing. And just not all, all, not all women are going to be called to preach, and not all women are going to be called to, to eldership, and not all men are called to preach, and not all men are called to, uh, to be elders. But the church is really, it's important for us to think, are we building up our church by using all of the gifts that we have? Um, and if we're not, then I'm, I'm not sure we're being faithful uh, to God's call. One of the benefits, um, I think, that I've experienced it at Culver Palms from a, from a youth ministry perspective is uh, Sheila and Vicenta offer a perspective um, that is so necessary um, because they're women, because they think of children differently. Our, our children's safety committee was comprised of both men and women, and that was an important thing when we talk about the safety of our children. Um, to, I mean, I don't really know... Uh, you can't really add to anything that Sarah said last night because she said it so powerfully. But we want to talk about kind of what's at stake for our churches is that the more women that we have in those roles, the more women that are in leadership, the less likely it is for us to create king culture, the less likely it is for us 
to create a culture where uh, men can abuse power and, and can lead to uh, sort of the tragedies and the travesties that we're dealing with as a church right now. And that is a benefit for Culver Palms, right? I'm not, we're not perfect, and there's things we need to do, but I have a lot more confidence in us as a church of being a place where, we're, where we have voices that are going to call us to account if we ever shift that way because we have those voices. And again, that's a gift. That's for the building up of our, of our church. That's for the, the safety of our students. Um, and so I, I think that's uh, a benefit that is, um, that's important for us to, to keep in mind um, when, we, when we talk about this, when we talk about what Sarah talked about, taking the roof off and doing some work that we need to, to have done in our churches. Um, I, I could go on and on about the blessings of, of, of being part of Culver Palms, but uh, I really, the question that I, I think churches need to ask is, are we building, are we, are we following Paul? Are we building up the church? Are we, are we doing that? Is the fruit that we're producing as a community of faith one of love and grace and peace, and not just for those in power who have been historically in power, not for, uh, you know, genders who have been historically in power, or even, you know, ethnicities have been historically in power, but are we do, producing the fruit of the Spirit? And if we aren't, then I think we really need to, to think about what we're doing and, and how we're doing those things. And so, um, you know, the method is, is messy. It really, it's a messy thing. I, I, just the seven years that I've been there, um, I was talking to, reflecting on this class, and um, I came into Culver Palms, and uh, we had maybe, I think, probably 10 or maybe 10 in the youth ministry at that time, uh, but we had this incoming class of, uh, who were going to come into sixth grade, and we had like 10 or 12 kids, and so as a youth minister, I'm thinking, these kids are going to come in, I'm going to have them for six years, and I'm going to build this foundation. We made that move, and half of those kids left because their, their families made the decision to leave. Um, and that was tough. That was tough. Um, and so there's a cost to it. But um, again, the building up of the church, the building up of the church. Personally, I grew up, grew up in the Church of Christ. Um, I can even go back as far as being in like high school and not really understanding what the big deal, what the conversation was really about, why women couldn't do do those things. It just, it didn't make sense to me. And then I came here and I, I got a religion degree. I said I wanted to do youth ministry. I went to ACU. I did some graduate work there and I came back and finished my Master of Divinity here. And all throughout it, I would say my wife who's here, we've been on this conversation, this process, and we've just, it just, it makes sense. It makes sense that uh, my wife's gifts should be honored and, and used at the church. Um, and so I'm thankful to be part of a community that has, has made that. Um, it it doesn't come without cost. It doesn't come without some pain and some tears. Um, and uh, as a minister, as someone who um, feels like uh, I'm called not to push in an agenda as a minister, I'm called to serve those that God has called me to serve, right? And so uh, people who left, that, that hurts as a minister. I don't, I don't want them to leave. I want them to stay. Um, but at the same time, I keep coming back to not simply the, the church now, but the church five, ten years, right? Are we building our churches up? Are we using the gifts God has given us? And if we aren't, we aren't, we aren't doing it well. So thank you.
So as I listen to you all talk, I'd like to, um, thinking about a lot, thinking about what Sarah said last night. If any of you didn't hear what Sarah said last night, you got to go to YouTube. It's going to be there. So you got to watch that sermon. Um, thinking about how the church should be leading culture in this area. I heard that come through everything that was said up here today, that our culture does not have this figured out. And sometimes the accusation toward the church is, oh, you're trying to be like culture. The culture's a mess. I mean, the culture's a mess. The culture does not have gender equality figured out at all. Um, but neither does the church, but the church should be leading culture. And um, Steve, I appreciate you bringing up Mary and Martha, because right there you have this story of a woman who is going against her culture, right? The culture says, said, you should be doing what, what Martha's doing. Martha is where she is supposed to be. Mary was doing something that was scandalous. She's, she's taking the position of a man, of a male student of a rabbi, right? And so she was going against the culture, following Jesus, following God's call on her heart. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen what's best and it will not be taken away from her. So I'd love for you all to, to think about that with me for a minute. How do you see the church's potential to lead culture in this area? One thing I would just say right up top from last night's keynote from Sarah is the church needs courage. The church needs to be fearless. Guess who had courage and who was fearless? Jesus. He turned his world upside down. He wasn't afraid of that. And through that submission and that weakness, he had the ultimate strength. And what impressed me so much about last night was the courage. And um, we all need to get a little spine in our churches. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes people will get up and leave. But for these big ticket issues, you've got to do what's right. I also think sometimes, um, you know, we do have to find a way, having said all that, of finding a way to find the common ground that um, we need to discover with each other before we can start drawing people in directions that we ultimately want to go. And talking about courage, um, I just think in a more logistical way, in a day-to-day -day way, when um, we at our church where we have included women, have visitors come in, and they sit down and they stay, 
until they get it that women are really part of this. And not always. Some people are very excited about this. But that flip side is that some people get out and walk away. And then I sort of think of like the way I like to do it, and I think many of us would do, if we go visit churches as visitors that are very conservative and do not have the intention to go this way, but for some reason or another, I'm a guest at that church, I don't just get up and walk away. I may engage with someone later when there's an opportunity to chat and mingle and begin to explain my difference, but I'm not going to get up and walk away. And I think that's a lesson for all of us to find common ground, but to remain courageous when our deeply held principles are at stake. Can I just add to that? Because I do think that the way that we can be different from culture is we can avoid the acrimony, accusations, and the fiery rhetoric that goes with disagreement and, and actually disagree in love. Um, we've had people do the same thing at Culver, and, um, and I have talked to those people and love those people because they have a perspective, okay, um, that's different than mine. Um, it doesn't do anyone any good to just fight. Um, and I'll just tell you a quick story. We had a, we had a conference at Culver some years ago on a Saturday, I remember, um, while w when we were still discussing um, just women preaching and, and women, women leading um, as part of the leadership team. Um, and I remember asking at the time, I already had my own thoughts about it, but I, I, I thought it was important to, to ask the question, who is doing the best teaching on um, women not participating? Because I, I think we have to understand that folks who have that perspective aren't pulling it out of their pocket with nothing. It, the reason we need to know that is because if we think that these folks have no reason to believe this, then we will approach them with disregard and disdain. Um, and I hope that um, folks, women and men who believe, uh, who agree with us, will go to churches that don't agree with us. Because that is the only way we're going to be able to get those churches to understand our perspective. They will never hear it. They probably won't hear it if we don't talk to them about it, right? And so I love the fact that you will wait and speak to people about it afterward. But I think the way that we're different from the world is we approach conflict differently than the world does. We're not going to be lobbing grenades at each other and not listening to each other, hopefully. Instead, what we'll be doing is having a conversation and saying, this is why we think, why we believe this, and listen to someone else. And maybe we won't agree right at that moment, but uh, you know, my experience is that over the long haul, people who are exposed to um, people who believe something different or who are different uh, and come to understand um, th that what the difference is about can move. I don't really know any other way for it to happen. 
If I don't know about someone in a different culture, I have an assumption about them, for example, I can't, I can't get over my assumption unless I meet them and have, and sit down with them and really get to know who they are, right? And I think, that it, I think it, it's analogous to what we're talking about today. You know, folks who have this, 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 this understanding right now are not, may not be able to get to a different place until they know people and understand people who have a different understanding that they do. This is, this is why I am not an elder. This is why I'm a youth minister. And, and you're right. You're right. And I think that that's a shepherd and a pastoring call. And yet, there are leaders in our churches who know better. There are leaders in our churches who have tremendous influence, tremendous power, are tremendously educated, and yet they do not move because of the very framework in which you're talking about. And that framework that they're working in is misplaced. The framework that you're talking about, I, what I hear you saying, is that we, have to, we cannot stand on our own hill as superior people for whom the truth has been finally revealed. And we hope that you travel up to us and come sit around our very exclusive campfire. <laughs> so we do not withdraw. We come to the lectures. We teach in the classes. We say, I hear you. That is so, that is so tough. But you know better. It's right there in the text. As Carl said last week, or last week, Yesterday, it's been a long, it's been a long time. Long couple days. You know, I've, I've wrestled with Jesus too. And in this setting, where we are here, where our fellow brothers and sisters are together who lead churches and direct churches and shepherd churches, we need to pull off the gloves a little bit. They're going to be fine. And we need to speak a prophetic truth. I go back to my uh, communion meditation analogy, how many times a woman will speak. But this is this experiment we should really do. It would be really interesting. But same with the keynotes. If the keynote law is half women, half men. There is no reason for that not to be there. There is no reason for us to push against it because it turns into tokenism. And what happens to churches revealed church I see I say this like enlightened churches woke churches to use a ki a phrase that the kids use over there yes it is that it plays into our own sense of superiority too you know we've done it and so we have to be agitators in love and realize that the truth of the matter is it's not the doctrine, it's not the theology, it's the anxiety of change. It's the anxiety of change. And we have to shepherd people through that. Sorry, now I said the but, so, uh, but, uh, no, I so that's, that's I, 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 it was I, more a yes and. 
yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. Okay. I think agitation is important, but but I think the 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 truth of the matter is is that that if you get enough of a groundswell of people who are in the pews, the folks who are yeah. in power are going to have to change their minds, and and so in, in the way that you can talk to people who aren't in leadership, yeah. who are just who are there and believe something because it's something that they've been taught, taught a lot is not by um, just, um, putting your finger in their face, True. but by having coffee with them and then having a conversation. That's when the questions start coming up. Yeah. And, and I, can I, I just want to say one other thing about being intentional because it, that is so, that's such so important. I, I can't count the number of years between the decision that Culver made to include women in the service, except for preaching and in leadership. It was a lot of it was a lot of years. It was a lot of years. Right. <laughs> and frankly, I think one of the reasons why it spent it, it, it took that amount of time is because we, we were glad. I think we were glad that we had made the other decision, yeah, yeah. right? And so, we were, and so then we were we. So we're taking a, a deep breath, and so it 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 took people to stand up and say, "Wait a minute, we've been doing something for a long time, but we haven't taken it yeah. to the next step for us to 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 actually say, you know, you're right. We got to, you know, get get going. So being intentional is very important." Okay, so yeah, unfortunately we don't have time for we don't have time for questions. It's I, I want to give Zach I want to give you two second to say one last thing, and then I I just I can't I'm not, I'm not going to keep you past the time. I mean I am keeping you because time's up. So give us two more minutes. I was just going to say I think the way that the church can and should lead culture is by leaning into our our baptism and the Lord's table, the two things that make us culturally different. And I don't think our church is doing a good enough job of um, of giving a robust theology of baptism or really taking our, our Lord's Supper seriously as being formative. Yes. And I, I don't mean that yes. simply about this issue. I think we could lead culture in so many ways if we would take those seriously and deep dive deeply into our theology that I think is, is right there for us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Two quick things. I just, um, I appreciated the, the picture of Aaron up there. And um, I would just encourage churches that are wanting to make changes to even if you can get something started like we do family first Sunday and anyone, any children can get up with their parents and we plug them into the different uh, prayers, reading scripture, whatever. And then they all do songs together, but that's a beginning point. And then secondly, what was that thing I was going to say? I can't think of it. Just go ahead. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap us up here, um, but with a quick story. When I was in seminary, Fuller Seminary back in the 90s, interdenominational, non-denominational seminary, um, I had a professor who it was, I think it was my exegesis, you know, class, and he, he stood up there and he said, now some of you are from traditions where your focus is on restoring the New Testament church. <laughs> and I was like, wait, I'm like, I think that's me. I think he's talking to me. <laughs> and he said, that's good. 
that's good what you guys are doing. But I want to challenge you to not just think about the first century, but to think about the last century. He's like, don't just go back and look at the New Testament church, but look at Revelation. Look at Genesis and the creation that's being restored through Jesus. So what I want to leave you with, what I want to leave all of us with, is I think we need to dream big dreams. I said yesterday, I don't think, I don't think God's done with the churches of Christ. I think God is calling us from our position of strength, from our heritage, to do the work that is ours to do. We absolutely have work that is ours to do, but we have got to dream big dreams about where God is going to use us. And it's not going to look the way it did when I was a kid, when you were a kid, the way it did back when Barton W. Stone and Alexander Campbell were together on the frontier. It's not going to look like that. It's going to look like Aaron's children and grandchildren and where is that future and where is God going to be using us in that future so I will leave you with that charge and that benediction go in peace thanks for being here